If you've been following the news at all, you've heard of the coronavirus outbreak in China and now all over the world, and how just this past week it was found in Madison. The epicenter of the outbreak appears to be Wuhan, China, and to try to contain it, the Chinese government has placed a quarantine on the entire area, halting travel and telling people to stay home, and if they must go out to wear a mask uh, covering their, their mouth. Essentially, the government has taken away the freedom of about 35 million people for the good of, of all, for the good of the world. Now, there's some debate on whether or not the harsh laws and the quarantine uh, are actually helpful or not, and I won't get into that. But just imagine for a moment that there was another, more dangerous outbreak, and that you had just visited the epicenter of that outbreak. And in fact, you were with some people who were sick, and you know it. And, and you come back, and there's a very real possibility that you are carrying the virus. But you're not concerned because you are, are, are healthy and strong at the prime of your life. And you decide that because there are no laws in place in our country regarding quarantine or masks, that you have the freedom to do, to do whatever you want. And so you're going to go to a party where there are elderly people and infants, the most vulnerable to this virus. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no rules against it. You're, you're not going to be put in prison. Nothing bad will happen to you. In fact, you'll probably have, have a lot of fun. But what harm have you just done to everyone who was there? Everyone who was weaker than you? And maybe you even see someone who's wearing a mask and you, and you start to deride them uh, and make fun of them for, for being paranoid and wearing that mask. This situation is essentially the context of our epistle lesson. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. The congregation at Corinth had struggled with the freedom they had in Christ, particularly with what they ate. Now, the Christians of this time in Corinth lived in an area where pagan worship was the norm. And it was common to come across foods that had been sacrificed to idols. And of course, that idol is not going to do anything. It's just going to sit there. And so these Christians would, would eat the food. And God had given them no rules regarding whether or not they, they, they should or should not eat that food. And so there were some who, who knew rightly that, that this was just food and the idols are nothing, just, just wood and stone. And so they felt that they could eat that food in good conscience. But there were others who were still growing in their faith or who were weak in their conscience who felt it was a sin. And unfortunately, the stronger Christians started to abuse their freedom. And they went and ate this food without regard to, to those who were weaker than, than them, their fellow Christians. And they even started to, to deride them uh, and disparage them and make fun of them, even to the point of putting their faith in question because they, they wouldn't eat this food. And the ones who did eat this food started to believe that they were better Christians and stronger Christians because they knew better. And so Paul says to those who thought they were free to do this, that that's not freedom at all. Just like someone who is potentially infected with a dangerous virus 
and decides to express their freedom and, and do whatever they want, that's actually not freedom. They're a slave to their own desires because they can't look outside themselves. Paul says to the Corinthians that food will not commend us to God. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8. In other words, it's not because you eat a certain food or not that you're saved. It has nothing to do with what you would do. In fact, if God saved or commend us for what we do, then no one would be saved. God has saved us apart from what we do. That's the nature of grace. But that doesn't mean what we do isn't important. Paul says that if, if food <clears throat> makes my brother stumble, then I'll never eat meat because I don't want to make my brother to stumble. And that's where our lesson today picks up and the examples that he gives. <clears throat> First, Paul uses the, the image of a, an athletic competition at the stadium. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this was something that the, that the ancient Corinthians uh, were very fond of, maybe even more so than we are today. In a race, uh, all the runners seek after one prize, and only one gets it, only one obtains it. An athlete who is the, the best in the world has all the freedom in the world. And we may, may even think about uh, athletes in our day and all the freedom that they seem to have. But he doesn't get there by doing whatever he pleases. The athlete who has no self-control is actually a slave to their own laziness and comfort and pleasure. And Paul says such a man runs aimlessly as if he was boxing by, by pummeling the air. Instead, a, a good athlete is one who, who beats their body and, and, and making their body their slave, forcing it to work hard, rather than becoming a slave to it and all of its desires. That's what Christians are to do as well. We are to discipline our bodies to do what is good for others. We are called to even forsake what is ours by right, uh, what, not only that we have the freedom to do, but the right to do. We're called to forsake that just as an athlete might give up his freedom in order to train for winning the race. <clears throat> Paul basically says that if you're a Christian who has been saved by grace, then act like it. Show the same grace to others. And then Paul gives a warning. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. He had them die in the wilderness. What Paul is referring to is Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They had Christ lead and guide them in the pillar of fire by night and the, and the cloud by day. God performed a great miracle by parting the sea and letting them pass through to freedom on the other side. 
He even gave them manna from heaven, free food from heaven, and water from a rock to eat that traveled with them. And Paul says that that rock was Christ. Now these are people who thought they could do whatever they wanted because they had Christ with them and that they ate and drank from God and for God. But they trusted in their eating and drinking and that because they did these things, that they were free to do whatever they wanted. And so they abused their freedom and so God had them die in the wilderness. The Israelites really had the same belief, uh, same false belief, that the workers in our, uh, in our gospel lesson, the first workers who were hired in the vineyard, their, their mentality. They believed that because they worked for it, they worked longer, they worked harder, and even if it was their eating and drinking, that they should be rewarded. Rewarded maybe even by God overlooking their behavior towards others. Some people even think that this is what the Lord's Supper is. That God gives us His grace because we eat and drink. And because we eat and drink, that frees us up to go out and, and do whatever we want. Basically, a free license to sin. As long as I take the Lord's Supper, I'm covered. I'm good. I can, I can go out and sin. But this is absolutely false. So Catechism says, It is not the eating and drinking which does these great things, but the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. When God had fed the Israelites and given them water from the rock, we actually have two examples of when God did this. The first is when God tells Moses at the, at the beginning of their travels to, to, strike the, to strike the rock and water comes out. The second is right before they enter the promise and right at the end of their journey. And God tells Moses to speak to the rock. Moses, in pride and anger, strikes the rock instead. And it's because of this that God actually doesn't allow even Moses to enter into the promised land and has him die in the wilderness. And that punishment seems a bit harsh just because Moses hit a rock. But notice that Paul calls that rock Christ. Christ, like that rock, was stricken for our iniquities. And Christ poured out his water of life for us. And how many times did Christ need to be sacrificed or stricken? Once. Christ was sacrificed once for the sins of the entire world. He doesn't need to be re-sacrificed. But sometimes we get prideful and we believe that that once wasn't enough. God needs my work. God needs my help. God needs me to do something. God needs me to, to, to offer a sacrifice to God. Even if, it, if that sacrifice is Christ again, I need to re-sacrifice Christ. There are two extremes when it comes to grace. The first is believing that all you need is faith in God's grace, and so then you can do whatever you want. 
And the second is believing that grace comes by your works. Both are wrong. As James, the writer to the, or the writer of the epistle says, faith without works is dead. If you aren't motivated by God's love and grace for you to love other people, then that's not really faith. And on the other hand, if grace can come by your works, it's no longer grace. Grace is undeserved. Grace is completely free. And God's grace to us frees us to serve our neighbor. Lutherans tend to make the distinction that God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. Our salvation, our relationship to God, is purely one of grace. It's a free gift of God. And even faith, our faith to receive that gift, even that is a gift of the Holy Spirit, something that the Holy Spirit works inside of us. We can't even take credit for that. Being saved requires absolutely zero effort. But living as someone who is saved does. That requires effort. And thankfully, God helps us with this too. By forgiving us and feeding us. The Lord's Supper sanctifies not because we eat or drink, but it sanctifies and keeps us in the true faith because this is the promise of God. Because Christ was shed once for the forgiveness of sins. So may God help us through his grace for us to show his same grace, to show care and love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.